Well, good morning, church. Last week, Trevor started you off on a really good sermon on theology of work, and I was actually filling in in the sanctuary from the sermon I preached the previous week. So this week, Grace Marie is over there in the sanctuary uh, catching them up and preaching a great message. And, you know, it's okay if you want to get up right now and, and go listen to her. She's a very gifted, talented uh, young woman. So she's got a great message. In fact, I'm going to pull a couple quotes uh, from her talk. Um, but anyway, it's so good to be with you. I, I was critiquing Trevor last week, and he got up in front of you all and said, hey, I'm one of the pastors here. So that's what I need to do. I'm one of the pastors here, Jeff Kersey. Anyway, so he thought that'd be cool. Anyway, theology of work. Um, I've been working, it seems like, most of my life uh, since really very early on working in the garden. I didn't have a strawberry patch like Trevor had. But uh, the work is something we all are aware of. And all of us are either working or we have been working or we're getting ready to work um, in some way. He gave a great definition last week, uh, Tim Keller's definition of work, rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. You know, work is about realizing our potential for the flourishing of everyone. And some of the points that Trevor made and a couple of things that Grace Marie is gonna share, I wanna just uh, share with you again. We work because God is a worker. And we are made in the image of God, God is a worker. Work is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible and work started with God. So second major point is work is not man's invention, but God's intention. A great point that they made last week. And then I love this little statement as we think about the garden there where Adam and Eve began to work and, and, and take care of the garden, naming all the animals, etc., is that the garden was not a vacation, it was a vocation. You know, sometimes we think of a garden as a place to have a vacation, but God gave them work to do right from the start, uh, to take care of the garden, tend to it, name the animals, etc. You know, God gives us responsibilities so that we can be a part of his work. That's how God has wired us. Doesn't, doesn't mean that vacation is bad or any way we need to take vacations. In fact, I saw someone earlier today, uh, nine o'clock, uh, they said they hadn't been here in two years. I said, okay, it's good to, good to have you back. Good vacation, glad you're back. Uh, been away because of COVID, et cetera. But, uh, but responsibilities, include rest, Sabbath, etc. And then this last point that they made, Trevor made last week, is work is not punishment, it's participation. We get to participate in making this world a better place, uh, making God's world a better place. One of the ways I like to close every sermon, uh, most every sermon, is go and change the world. Go and make the world a better place because God has put you here on the planet so I want to read to you the scripture this morning to kind of set up my talk. I'm going to read it from Romans 12, uh, from the message paraphrase version. If you're able, uh, would you stand for the reading of God's word? This is, again, uh, from the message version, uh, a little more modern translation. Paul writing to the Romans. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, 
fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize whatever he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, I thank you for your word. The word you gave through the prophets, the gospels, the words of Jesus, the words of the uh, disciples, the apostle Paul here in Romans. I, I pray, Father God, you would take this word and help us have a better understanding of how we live out our lives daily. Our daily walking around, eating, sleeping, going to work lives. And may we glorify you in what we do today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now again, working all of my life and working as a pastor. You know, pastors, uh, we sometimes get, you know, some occasional comments about our work. In fact, many, many years ago, uh, I had to be close to... Uh, 28 years ago, we had a family that was visiting the church, and uh, this particular person uh, ran a pretty large company, and they visited for a while, and then I was speaking to them, and they said, hey, we're going we're gonna to join your church. We decided to join Mount Horb. I said, well, what, what was it that kind of triggered your decision to join the church? He said, well, you know, I've studied this thing out, and I, I've learned this about preachers. If a preacher can get a job doing something else, he's probably a pretty good preacher. But if preaching all is all that he can do, he's probably not that good of a preacher. He said, I think you can get a job doing something else if you had to, so we're gonna come join your church. I said, well, that's pretty good. I think that's a compliment, I'm not sure. Uh, then threw this little one-liner in, besides preacher, you only work one day a week and you got a big book to go by, you know? So preaching, you know, is, is a work as well, and, 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 and we all work at different tasks. We all have different responsibilities. There's a wealth of talent in this room, of people with craft and skill and excellence and giftedness. You know, the average person will spend one-third of their life working. That's roughly 90,000 hours of work in your lifetime. That's a lot of work. I received this text a couple weeks ago after one of my sermons in here from a, a, a member of the church who uh, runs a large public traded company and he said this, he says, I'm so excited about this sermon series on work that people do not realize that kick out sleep, we spend more time with our fellow employees than the family at home that we love. It truly is a quality of life issue that work is a means of glorifying God to make it worth spending more time with my employees than with the people I love at home. So may I learn to glorify God. Now, our, our staff has been doing a Bible study, a book study, through an excellent book. I'm gonna recommend it highly. It's called For the Body. It's by Dr. Timothy Tennant, the, the president of Asbury Seminary. Uh, the subtitle is Recovering a Theology of Gender, Sexuality, and the Human Body. And it's a great book. It's a timely book for all that's going on in our world today. Uh, it, it's a book about how we are made in the image of God, and how our physical bodies are meant to point to Jesus and the purpose of our lives. Um, but there's a wonderful chapter in this book on work 
And so as, I, as we read through it, I said to the rest of the preaching team, this is mine. Uh, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this chapter. I'm claiming it. Right now, it is so good. Uh, this fall, uh, Chad and I will be offering this book as a Bible study for the church. So just a shameless plug. Uh, it's a great study uh, for the body. Somebody sent me an Amazon link today to share with the church. Uh, so anyway, so people, we wanted, we wanted, it's a great book. So I'll just stop there. But I agree with Dr. Tennant's biblical worldview about personhood. Uh, we are marked by the image of God. Not just us, but the entire human race. As I look out on you, you all look differently, different sizes, different shapes, different hair color. But what I see in all of you is the image of God that you and I are image bearers of God. And we are to reflect the image of God. We are to reflect the message of God. We are to view others as God views us. That's a challenge, isn't it? To view others the way God views us. To work with others, to work with others the way God works with us and the way God works for us. How would it change your work world if you worked for others in the same way that God worked for you? the grace that God gives us, the mercy that God shows us. We are to be image bearers of God. We are to forgive others in the same way that God forgives us. We're to love others in the same way that God loves us. And yet all around us, we see evidence that humanity is rebelling against this relationship with God as creator and redeemer leaving behind the idea that we are image bearers of God. We've seen it throughout biblical and world history, that we tend to do what Paul says. We tend to make ourselves in the image of the culture, and we want to be like everybody else instead of being image bearers of God. And that bleeds over into every area of our life, including our work life. So the question I want to ask us this morning, are we trying to bear the image of the world, the culture, or are we trying to bear the image of Almighty God? And it will be reflected in what we do and how we work. So my first big rock is this. I want to talk about and recapture for us the sacredness of the secular. The sacredness of the secular. That's what Paul says. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your secular life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Bring your life to God as an offering to make it sacred. Let God make it sacred. God will help you make it sacred. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now, I learned a new word in this book, and I had to practice pronouncing it. I'll probably butcher it here. But if you, some of you may know this word, but I never heard of this word. It's a great Scrabble word. But it's the word quotidian. There it is, quotidian. Put it up on the screen there. There it is. Quotidian, I want to ask you to repeat that. Um, but what does that word mean? It means daily routine task. It means the mundane task of life. And life is full of mundane tasks. Washing the dishes. You know, Lynn and I, who's here this morning in the back here with our granddaughter, you know, we have this arrangement. I cook and she washes the dishes. It's a, it's a good relationship. I, I, I love to cook, and she doesn't like to do dishes, but it works out that way. But, uh, but, but it's mundane, right? You know, I can be creative cooking, you know, a little flair. You know, Lynn's doing the mundane, washing the dishes. It's hard to have flair with the dishes, you know? But washing dishes, folding clothes, preparing meals, cleaning the house, going to the dump, 
cutting the grass, answering emails, our daily ordinary work can become a means of grace as we bear God's image and embody God's presence. Now, a word about cutting grass. Uh, I've been cutting grass since I was at least 12 years old. You know, anybody in the room can relate to that, you know, 12 years old. I remember, and I'm gonna date myself, I remember cutting the grass with the mower. They had their rotary blades, right? It wasn't a gas mower. It was the push it and the rotary blades, and, you know, it was really long and consuming and hot. Um, and I was so excited when we finally got a gas lawnmower, right? But I've been doing that since I was 12 years old, cutting the grass. You know, and I, you know... I take some pride in the yard, you know. I like to have the yard look good. I'm, I'm doing it for the glory of Jeff, not the glory of God. But anyway, that's, another, that's a whole other sermon. But I, I told Lynn, I said, you know, it was, it was hot outside. It was humid. I said, you know, Lynn, I've been doing this for all of my life, you know. It may be time to hire somebody to cut the yard, you know. And she was all for that, you know. And so we, we, I, I got with a young man who came and cut the grass uh, t- two weeks ago, three weeks ago, walked around looking at it, you know, make sure it's okay. And uh, he did a great job. And he's come back a second time. And I'm kind of liking this, you know. But this is a mundane task that we, that we sometimes want to avoid. But even if we avoid them, somebody else is going to do them. There are tasks that have to be done because if I didn't cut my grass or get this young man to cut my grass, I would get a letter from the HOA that says, what happened to your grass? Who's gonna cut your grass? And my wife is not gonna do it, right? So I gotta get somebody else to do it. Um, Do we see that as sacred? I I love this uh, uh, motto of a a bakery in Abbeville, South Carolina. Now I'm gonna probably butcher this, but it's the the Schwarzentruber Bakery. that serves sweets with a purpose, right? But here's our motto. Our business is to serve the Lord. We bake cake to meet expenses. Our purpose is to serve the Lord. We bake cakes to meet expenses. Now, could we not all learn from that motto? To live our lives to glorify God and we cut grass or we build things, we fix things to meet expenses. There's a story of a man who came upon three workers with these uh, picks working in a rock quarry. And he calls out to them. He says, what are y'all doing? And the one man said very angrily, can't you see? I'm cutting stone, back-breaking work. The second man said, can't you see? I'm earning $10 an hour. Whoops. And the third man said, I'm building a cathedral. These rocks are going to go into a cathedral. Now, the point of the story is the first man couldn't see past his pick. The the second man couldn't see past his paycheck. But the third man had the big picture. He saw the purpose of his work to glorify God in all that we do. You know, too oftentimes we think that God only works in the monumental and not in the mundane. But it's often in the mundane that God does the miraculous. Remember the story, the gospel story in the New Testament and the the multitude gathered around Jesus and the people were hungry and Jesus wanted the disciples to feed them and they didn't have enough resources. There was no way they had enough resources. So Jesus says, bring me what you have. And they found a young boy who had two fish and five loaves mundane, just, just a packaged meal. 
and he brought it and Jesus blessed it and it fed well over 5,000 people. In the Old Testament, there was a place called Mount Horeb and, and, and Moses was out doing the mundane work of tending his sheep and then he noticed a bush, a mundane bush all of a sudden was on fire but it wasn't being consumed and he drew him over to the bush and then God spoke to him out of the burning bush and said, my people are suffering in Egypt in slavery. Go and set my people free. Just a mundane daily job of taking care of some sheep when God does something miraculous in a mundane bush that catches on fire. 29 years ago, Lynn and I were blessed to arrive at a little church on the corner up there, a little mundane Methodist church. And God took that little mundane Methodist church and has done some miraculous things. You know, it's the mundane that God wants to do the miraculous in. We, we were looking for monumental stuff. And God says, let me use the little stuff and show you what I can do. I was talking with uh, my doctor, Brent Powers, who's, who's, a, who's a brilliant guy and a great doctor. And, and uh, he was telling me this one time in, in, in a, in a, when we were going through an examination or something. And, and he was talking about the challenge he has in trying to reach people who maybe don't believe in God and question it. And, and he shared with him the miracle of, of the heart. And, and this heart that weighs five pounds, uh, that, that pumps five liters, what, uh, every, uh, make sure I get it right here, but it pumps uh, this, this, five liters every minute. And it has its own electrical system and battery system that, that exists for 75 years without being changed. And the energy that it pumps is made by the body that houses it. No way that God was not involved in that. There's no way some human being thought of that. But everyone, is, everyone of you listening to me today takes for granted this organ in your, in your body that's pumping right now to keep you alive. Now, I had some people sitting on the front row that had open-heart surgery. They were all in. Absolutely. I had to get mine worked on. I appreciate it. It's wonderful, incredible. Most of us just take that for granted. But, but isn't it, it's, it's amazing that, that God is doing that kind of work inside of us. Every minute of every day that you're breathing and walking, you got a heart that's working in a powerful, miraculous way. And we take the mundane like that for granted. And God wants to be glorified in all of that. You know, Jesus had spent 30 years doing the mundane. 30 years being a carpenter's son. 30 years being a fisherman. 30 years being a good son. 30 years being a good citizen in his community. And yet at his baptism through his cousin John, the, a dove descends down from heaven. And the voice of God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. Now, think about that. Jesus had not preached the first sermon. He had not done the first miracle as far as we know. He had not be, uh, fed the 5,000. He had not begun the redemptive mission to the cross. God was saying, I'm pleased with my son because he's been good and faithful for these first 30 years. See, I want you to know that God wants to look at your life. Even though maybe something miraculous hasn't happened in it yet, God is pleased if you are honoring him and glorifying him and living for his purpose in your life. Each of us is given 24 hours a day. 
every one of us, and a chance to give ourselves sacrificially. That's what Paul says here. Give your ordinary walking around, going to work life as a sacrifice, an offering for God, an act of worship. And God is honored when we do that. Lynn and I uh, were part of a singing group called Faith Incorporated. And it was in the first year, I think, Lynn and I were married. And we, that summer, we got a job, the seven of us, at Magic Harbor Amusement Park. It was located next door to Lakewood Campground. And we were all college students, and they were short on employees. And so they gave us all these um, kind of director-level jobs. I was in charge of ticket sales, and somebody else was in charge of rides, and somebody was in charge of games, somebody was in charge of stuffed animals, and somebody was in charge of, of uh, maintenance and all that kind of stuff. We had really, really important jobs at Magic Harbor, this, this little amusement park. But we didn't come to Myrtle Beach to work in an amusement park. We came to Myrtle Beach to share our faith and to do concerts and, and uh, you know, speak and that kind of stuff in the park. That was the arrangement that we would get to do this in the park. Well, it so happened because we had all these important jobs that there never was any time to do concerts. We get ready to do a concert and there was an emergency on the rides and our main guitar player had to go fix a ride or there's somebody from a state, not South Carolina. Uh, I figured I better not say that state, but anyway. But uh, some other state somewhere uh, who had a problem with a ticket. And so I had to go fix that problem. So because we weren't real mature, uh, the seven of us, uh, we made the very hasty decision that, hey, we're not getting to do what we came to Myrtle Beach to do, which is to sing and share our stories and, 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 and do ministry is we walked into the manager's office and all seven of us quit. You know, wasn't a good moment. Not proud of that moment. Uh, but we, we, we left and said, we, we came to do ministry. Let's step out in faith and do ministry. Now, now, we did a lot of ministry that summer. But to get a job to survive, some of you may remember these days. This is in the early, mid late 70s. Um, is that we stood outside of seafood restaurants and handed out certificates to go for people to go buy a timeshare. There's probably somebody sitting in the audience today that bought a timeshare that I gave them a certificate for that was the worst investment you ever made, right? And, and, and if you uh, went to the timeshare, went to the office to talk about timeshare, then we got paid, right? But if you took the certificate and promised us you would go and didn't show up, we didn't get paid. Lynn came this close to going home to her mama. She said, I, don't want, I didn't sign up for this. I'm not gonna do this. You know, we made a very hasty decision because we were immature, spiritually immature. We didn't realize that selling tickets could be sacred work. We didn't realize that fixing rides could be sacred work. We thought we had to be up front being special. So I've learned from that, that, that we don't need to see our work as a burden, but instead see our work as a blessing that we need to be a blessing to people. You know, John Wesley emphasized in his theology, the founder of the Methodist movement, that we need to live a life of holiness. And salvation must produce holiness of heart and life. He, he, one of his favorite verses, which is one of the most difficult verses in all the gospels, is Matthew 5:48. You must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, that's a tough teaching, right? I must be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Now, those are the words from Jesus. For Wesley believed there was no holiness in our lives without social holiness, that we need to live out our lives in the world as holy people with the help of God in our lives. 
that, that we have to have an ethic that's based on holiness, not on obligation. To many times we run our lives based on obligation instead of a virtue of holiness. Uh, you, know, you know, just Wesley believed you needed to be before you went and did. You, you need to get filled with the presence of God before you go and do the task of the world in your life. A virtue ethic is not about trying harder, but having your heart changed by the, by, by the Holy Spirit, by the love of God. And, and for Wesley, this was lived out in the great commandments. Matthew 22, teacher, what is the greatest of your laws? Jesus said to him, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest of the laws. The second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the laws and the writings of the early preachers depend upon these two most important laws. So for Wesley, perfection was about having a perfect love for God with all your heart, mind, and soul and loving your neighbor perfectly as yourself. That's a high threshold to hit. Now, thank goodness, Wesley believed that you only could do that through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So what does that look like? Uh, Martin Luther said it this way, we respond to the call to love our neighbor by fulfilling the duties associated with our everyday work. What does that look like? Well, it means showing up to work on time. It means not leaving work too early. It means being there in the routine and the mundane. It means being a team player. It means being an encourager and not a discourager. It means maintaining good boundaries at work. It means loving your neighbor as you love yourself at work. And it's sacred work. You know, sacred work is about sacrifice, not selfishness. And one of the things that messes up work, we know this, is selfish people. That, that the work world evolves around them. Well, to be sacred about that, it evolves around Jesus and our calling. It's a challenge, right? It, it's hard to work that way. Uh, in the, uh, I'll get this pronunciation wrong, uh, in, in the Lausanne Covenant, these words were written about work. God has been calling out from the world a people for himself and sending his people back into the world to be his servants, to be his witnesses for an extension of his kingdom to build up the body of Christ. You know, Jesus gave us the great commission to go into the marketplace, to go into the schools, to go into the factories, to go into the hospitals, to go to the beach and be an image bearer, to represent him there in the world, to make a difference. You know, Lynn's mom, my mother-in-law, Lois Ergel, died last November. Lois worked until she was 85 years old. She didn't believe in retirement. She was the auditor of Horry County until she was 85 and retired in June of that year and died in November. And we would ask her, Lois, why do you, why do you keep doing this? Why don't you retire from being the auditor and go and enjoy life? And you know what she said? She said, I just love helping people too much. I, I, I love making a difference. And you know, it, when I work, I got a little extra money and I can give it away and help people. Wesley said this, John Wesley, in his sermon on use of money, he says, wealth slash work is an excellent gift of God that when well handled by Christians become food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, 
clothing for the naked, rest for the traveler, support for the widow and the orphan, defense for the oppressed, health for the sick, even life for the dying. My mother-in-law lived that out. Now, I'm not giving you a hard time if you're thinking about retirement. I got to confess to you, I think about it myself a little bit. But we never retire from serving the Lord. We never retire from making this world a better place. You know, one of the things I think that we certainly are going to look forward to as Christians when we step into eternity, we all, we all want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant or worker. But you know what I think is even more treasured than that? Is when we're walking around heaven, enjoying the immensity of eternity, is when somebody, somebody walks up to us and goes, hey, I'm here because of you. I wouldn't be here today if you hadn't served, if you hadn't spoken to me, if you hadn't cared enough for me to go and, and, and reach out to me. You know, doing the work of God, extending the kingdom of God. And then as we get ready in just a few minutes to receive Holy Communion, I want to say a word about the significance of the sacramental life. Now, what is a sacrament? We see Holy Communion here and we think of a sacrament. We think of baptism, we think of a sacrament. Well, the definition for sacrament is a holy mystery. It's a holy mystery. And so sacraments can be all the ordinary ways in our lives that point to the great mysteries of God. When people see God in us, it's sacramental. We're, we're, we're revealing this holy mystery. In this familiar passage here, Luke 22, then Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it in pieces he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now communion, this broken bread represents the broken body of Christ. It's a means of grace. We remember Christ's redemptive work for us. When you receive it, you receive his work in you by faith. And then by his grace, you go and work for him. You go and begin to serve him. It means a shift in priorities. It means I'm no longer building my kingdom on the earth. I'm building God's kingdom on the, world, on the earth. As transformed people, we go into the world to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transform, transformation of the world. You know, when you leave this morning, when I leave this morning, you become a mobile church. You become a mobile temple. You are the temple of God wherever God puts you. It's your working world, on the lake, at the beach, wherever you find yourself. Now, I want to take a moment to say a word of thanks for those in our congregation, those in our community that live out this verse of Jesus every day, where they put their body on the line every day. I want to say a word of thanks for people involved in serving the military, people that serve in law enforcement, people that are EMS workers, fire persons, the ones that are every day putting their life on the line. I was talking to one of our officers earlier, and I could see him wearing a bulletproof vest. And why does he wear a bulletproof vest? Because every day he puts his body on the line for you and me. Can we give them a hand this morning? People that live that out every day. Now, one of the challenges to be in the sacramental presence of God in the world is this idea that there's somehow a separation 
between clergy, staff, and laity. That ministry is limited to people who have full-time callings or full-time jobs. And I want to just say a word of thanks for all of you that are in ministry because all of you have a calling to do ministry. And so if you're serving at Mount Horeb in leadership in some way, would you stand? Because I want us to thank you. If you're in leadership at Mount Horeb, would you stand? We had people last service and the other service. If you're in leadership, anybody in the room? A couple of you standing back there, three, four, five of you. Let's give them a hand. Thank you. Remain standing. Now, if you, if you serve in some capacity the kingdom of God at Mount Horeb or out in the community, you know, uh, somewhere serving, would you stand? If you're serving God somewhere, would you stand? Look around you, okay? People making a difference for the kingdom of God. Thank you all. And I just want to thank you as your pastor that those of you who give generously, you go to work every day, earn an income, and your generosity makes an impact at Mount Horeb. It allows me to have a job. It allows our staff to have a job. And I want to thank you that you're making that possible. And, and not just us here locally, but, but globally, all of our ministry partners. You know, your work is making a difference. It's, it's an investment in all of eternity. You know, I'm a big believer in tithing. I'm a big believer in generosity. You know, Lynn and I are investing in, in, in eternal things that when we step into eternity, you know, there are going to be people there because we invested. You know, we have four children that we adopted through compassion. We, we invest in those children, changing lives one child at a time. And many of you are doing, this church, it's amazing. This church sponsors over 900 children with compassion. Isn't it amazing? 900 children's lives are being changed by that work. But you got to go to work to be able to pay the bill. Now, this last passage, Colossians 3, 23. So whatever work you do, do with all your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. Remember that you will get your reward from, from the Lord. He will give you what you should receive. You are working for the Lord Christ. Now, if, if we will live that out right like that, then we wake up at 6 a.m. and we got to go to work and we don't want to get up. Remember, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. And remember that you will get your reward from the Lord. You know, I believe with all my heart that our participation in the work of God now is preparatory for our work with God in eternity. Jesus said, those who are faithful in little things will be made faithful in great things. And I look forward to what God has for me to do in eternity. And I'm gonna catch up with uh, Moses and Abraham and certainly Jesus and talk to the disciples. But then, God, what do you want me to do? There's gotta be a job. There's gotta be something to do. Some, some impact. And I believe that God has a task for all of us. I don't want to experience the pointlessness of eternity. I certainly don't want to experience the isolation of eternity. I don't want to experience the meaningless of eternity. I don't want to experience the punishment of eternity. I want to experience the fulfillment of eternity where there's a purpose. There's a, there's a partnership. God has got a job for all of us to do. You know, in just a minute, after we see during communion, we're going to sing a song together, and I just want to set it up because it's such a great song. May Christ be magnified in me. May people see Christ in me.
many people see Christ in you. Father God, I thank you that today you're speaking in us through your word. You're speaking in us through your Holy Spirit. But we thank you that Jesus Christ came and gave himself in this incredible work, this work of going to the cross, of suffering and dying for the sins of the world. But Father God, we know that long before we went to the cross, he was a carpenter, probably did some fishing to help support his family. And Lord, how you took the mundane parts of his life and did something miraculous. And Father God, I pray for that person right now that feels their life is boring, their work is boring, it is mundane, they feel burnt out, feel tired. I pray, Father God, as they surrender that to you and work for you, that you will use their work to do something miraculous, that someone's life will be changed for all of eternity. Thank you, God, for the calling upon our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.